Okay, hello everyone, and here we are again, episode six of Thelma and Tom Look Left, and thank you for tuning in and giving it a listen. So, hello Thelma, how are you today? Hi Tom, yeah, I'm good, thank you. I've got my cup of tea ready and uh, looking forward to a chat and to meeting our guest today, and I've just been up on the moors in the sunshine um, before we started uh, this episode, and uh, we've got our first lambs. Uh, been born and yeah. Uh, yeah it was really uplifting uh, it's beautiful isn't it when spring comes and yeah. you think, here we go again another you know got to yeah. witness another spring and summer I'm really yeah uh, yeah getting... it made me it's made me feel really really positive and yeah uh, yeah. yeah bit of sunshine does everybody good doesn't it yeah absolutely and I've, as always Thelma far too much to talk about in one podcast but we'll we'll give it a start <laughs> so I, I, I mean we're back on our old subject I mean this is episode six I think probably we've mentioned this in at least three of them if not four Liverpool still in the news Selma yeah uh, very much so and things very fast moving as well um and you know very upsetting um in many ways um because you can see um, that the government have moved in um, to take over part of the um, of the council um, and governance, and there's obviously big questions to answer. Um, I mean, this caller report, I think it's called, uh, Max Caller, um, has unearthed um, well big questions um, about the governance. Um, but I I'm just incredulous, really, um, that it's it's uh, Robert Jenrick. Um, of all yeah. people from yeah. the government that's leading on this. Yeah. Um, and I just feel there's some double standards here. Yeah. Um, and I, I just really feel for, for the people of Liverpool, um, you know, solid, solid Labour um, authority in the area um, and, and the Labour leadership have supported the government well, Robert Jenrick in particular, yeah. in this. And I, I just think there's double standards there because there wasn't enough shouting from Labour um, about you know, the cronyism that's gone on um, with contracts, um, you know, and outsourcing with the health um, and Jenrick himself and, and some dodgy dealings as far as I can see. Um, but I didn't hear a lot of shouting from Labour over that. Um, and I'm not saying there aren't issues um, in Liverpool, um, but I would have liked to have seen, I mean, I'm not entirely clear how it works, but I would have liked to have seen an independent um, inquiry and investigation into it. And um, I, I just feel really, really concerned that it's it's this government of all governments and Robert Jenrick in particular. Um, yeah, it's a, question marks. it's a bit suspect, just, isn't it, really, that... I, yeah, uh, you know that no one really knows. I mean, I know this report has come out, but in a in a way, you we we've seen before. You can get whatever you want from reports, really, depending on what side of the argument you're on. Um, you know, some people will say it's absolutely terrible, and some say it proves nothing. And it does actually. Mm. We don't really know. I've been kind of looking at it a bit today to see if I could find what out what the facts are, and we can't. And actually, the police have. Um, uh cancelled the bail on the mayor joe mm. whatever his name was mm. and and yeah. the other people that were accused of doing this stuff so it's they're yeah. not even certain they're not even certain that they've got a case i don't think no well i i mean i wouldn't want to comment i mean the the what they're saying and they've looked at the report and what they're saying is that there's been dubious contracts um, but I just think it should be the people of Liverpool that are looking into that. And I, I just feel it is double standards because of um, what we've been um, seeing and proven uh, in yeah, the case yeah, of some of the health contracts that it shocking. has been corruption and yeah. cronyism is a kind yeah, yeah. And, and also, corruption. Obviously, with Robert Jenrick, I mean, he had that huge... Well, again, we can't actually say it, I guess, because it's, it was passed over as though it was nothing. But that whole thing with the housing project yeah, he was involved yeah. in yeah. in London. Well, Tory donor, wasn't it? It was. It was. Forgot. It was cut and dried, really. But they well, just washed over it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, thing, it is double standards. Yeah. As I say, the thing that upset me was that um, the hue and cry from Labour didn't seem to be there in the same way as we've got immediate support 
um, for the Tories taking over part of, of Liverpool Council. And, I, 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 yeah, I just think it is double standards. You know, I, can, can I, I, I'm going to ask you this, Thelma. Last week, we had a really lovely podcast with a, a lovely guest, Melissa. And oh, yeah. I asked a question of Melissa about um, the... Labour leader who you know I'm struggling with a bit because I'm really think he's he's so I, I'm I I am to the I mean I'll probably be called a conspiracy theorist for this but I'm leaning towards the angle that he's a bit of a stooge really uh, he just seems to be calling like he called out Nicola Sturgeon for uh, one thing but he doesn't call out the Tories for the same thing and yeah. and he and he's yeah. all over Liverpool Liverpool Labour. Uh, saying how terrible they are, and then mm. other stuff's going on, and he's not going near it. He's yeah. just he's yeah. just mimicking yeah. the tours. It's it's biggest belief I, to I, me. I well, I I don't know quite what to say. All I keep going back to are those ten pledges he stood on um, when he went for the leadership, and I think every single one, um, or most of, if not every single one, has been broken as far as I can see. And every time something happens like this. I just, um, it's affirming for me in a way, because you know I was devastated when I left the Labour Party, but yeah. it's quite affirming in a way because it just makes me, um, well, it reassures me that I made the right decision um, because this is, it, it is not a democratic socialist party. And certainly the leader isn't at the moment, the way yeah. it's behaving. Yeah. Democracy, democracy just, even with, I don't know, I just get the feeling that the MPs on the back benches are not allowed to speak out in the way they want to. And it just seems to be a control there that I, I just, um, I think is really worrying in terms of democracy. And I think for local people, if you voted somebody in as your MP and you feel that their voice speaking out on your behalf is being stifled, I, I would, you know, I, I would feel really um, aggrieved by that and, and think I'm not being represented. Um, yeah, well, I think he did. Uh, uh, the, the MPs did actually all receive a letter saying that to not to speak out on Liverpool uh, unless they, uh, you know, knew exactly what the party line was. In other words, do what you say, what you're told and nothing else. Yeah, and, uh, well, I saw two tweets from two, you know, front bench people on the same day that were, were mocking Boris Johnson, but exactly the same tweet. Yeah, I, I saw I just, that as well. Did you see it? <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I, it's I, just, I just pathetic, isn't it? Where, I mean, how... where, talk about independent thinking, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what worries me about it all is, it's, you know, there's a few... I don't know how many thousands, quite a lot of people that have really got their eye on the ball here and seeing this kind of stuff going on and going, this yeah. is absolutely ridiculous. But the vast yeah. majority of people are getting their message from the mainstream media and aren't, and aren't picking up on this stuff. And I find that really, yeah. really worrying yeah. myself. And, yeah. I, uh, well, yeah, I mean, the, I'm feeling a bit more optimistic about that at the moment, Tom, because you know the conversation we had with Melissa last week and the different platforms that are being used and you can see the take up with those different platforms that are getting the left wing message, even even our own humble um, yeah. podcast. Yeah. You know, we're, we're we're doubling every week, and yeah, more yeah, and more yeah. people are listening, yeah. and that's yeah. Yeah. that's just a joy. I mean, we both did it just because we wanted to do it and get the message out. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't kind of a competitive thing to, uh, you know, to 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 be become celebrities or anything like that. That's no, not us, is no, it? But no. but. But really, I feel that in our own small way, we're cutting through with that left-wing message. And I think all these other Navarra Media, uh, Double Down News, uh, well, we've got Byline Times, Canary. We've got so many, haven't we, yeah, um, that, that are, are getting that message out. And you see on Twitter, the uptake, that, you know, a lot of young people in particular that's what they're into and that's where the messaging is coming forward so i am feeling a bit yeah more I, I like that thelma i'm glad you are and i think we're we're a good bounce in a way because uh you know sometimes i feel that too uh, but, and then other times i i, I slightly depends on what you last read with me you know um yes. uh, or the yes. last thing i heard um but i you know i it's not just about um how we feel things are going either. I sometimes I, I know this is a bit flippant, but 
I get quite nervous doing these podcasts. And then last week I wasn't nervous and you were. And it was like, <laughs> well, that's a bit weird. So I, I mean, I think, do... the, I think the more you know somebody, because I know Melissa fairly well, and I think the more you know somebody, I think it's, um, I think it's more nerve wracking, really. That's, that's how I, uh, I'm, I mean, the thing is, we've got uh, John McDonald coming on in a few weeks. And yeah. I know John really so well, obviously, with working closely with him, that I think I'll probably be more worried yeah, well, about talking God. to John. I must admit it's quite something for me you know meeting all these people and just thinking what on earth's happening here this you know this old hippie that lives on the moor is meeting oh, people no, that, you know John McDonald he could great. have been he could have been second in charge of this country at one point if if uh, oh, you know we hadn't been I so wish. totally stiffed up anyway I wish. <laughs> uh, back, back to that subject that we we're supposed to be discussing quickly yeah. so yeah uh, so this whole thing with with Liverpool and uh, uh, and the North and the way they're being treated by the Labour Party, it has got another side to it, hasn't it? With um, with what's going on in Hartlepool, that's interesting stuff, isn't it? Yes, it is. And um, I've I've had some really uh, interesting conversations recently uh, with the founder Philip uh, Proudfoot, um, young, very bright uh, young man who. Um, really honestly the energy in him and the vision that he's got um and i you know so interesting well researched um brilliant on social media getting that messaging out um and very serious uh in the purpose um and and i think the way again the way labor has acted imposing a candidate for labor in hartlepool um, with, uh, you know, one candidate, uh, male and pale, um, yeah. no chance for anybody of colour, no chance for anybody with a disability, yeah. um, no chance for a woman, yeah. um, and just have had this, and then obviously things have come out about this candidate um, with, with tw inappropriate tweets, yeah. inappropriate connections uh, to, um, well, undemocratic uh, body, shall we say, um, and just just awful. Um, and so I, I say to the Northern Independence Party, uh, more power to your elbow. So, I, I, so I just what, think, what, yeah. what are they, Thelma? I mean, I see, I've seen it and I've, I've watched a couple of videos and stuff. What, what, what are they after sort of like? Well, they well like they're trying Scottish? to take, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's, it looks like Scotland could well become independent. And, and so you, we're going to be left possibly Wales following and possibly unification of Ireland. Yeah. And that is a strong possibility, which leaves little England, doesn't it? Yeah, and the people up north, like, you know, me, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and all the northern regions. Um, and it's so ruled by Westminster and that has been historic and year on year, decade on decade, there's been um, underfunding and it's been the north and the manufacturing which has been run down um, that gives the wealth to the south <laughs> um, and it's been take, 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 but then there's been these projects and promises for the North, like the Northern Powerhouse, et cetera, which really have not delivered. We've still got massive inequality. Um, life expectancy, if you compare it to um, Northern regions, to, to, you know, somewhere like Maidenhead or whatever, um, you know, there's a huge gap in life expectancy, child poverty, uh, increasing food banks, connectivity with transport and transport spending, spending on health. Um, th there's this disparity um, in funding. And it's, I mean, it's looking at the federal model, really, um, and, and having a, 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 an economy for the North. Um, so it would be independent financially. So there's a real vision there. And yeah. I think it's really exciting. And I'm a real northerner, you know, Tom. And I, you know, especially when it comes to looking at education and education and the impact on quality of life for children and young people and families. Um, and I feel really strongly uh, that this being this governance from Westminster has to end, um, and and I do I look at the German model um, and look at that possibility that it, it may seem 
it may seem just a pipe dream. It may seem, but I actually, I've listened to Philip and I've talked mm. to him a lot. Um, and I actually, there's, some, there's something there because yeah. all this talk about Red Wall and how the North are feeling and the Brexit vote and all that. It was a protest vote, really, for the North, you know, saying... Yeah, but do you, what think, about those, do you think those protest, those protest votes will come over towards... A, NIP or or is and where, where does it fit on the political spectrum and or is that irrelevant in a way? Well, it's it's very much a, a democratic socialist party. Yeah, um, it's very much a, a left wing party, and I think yeah. um, I, I think that it's all about messaging. Um, I think it's all about it's like in two thousand and seventeen for Labour. Uh, great manifesto, great policies. I've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and the message was getting out there. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy leading that um, engaged, especially with the younger generations. And it's the younger generations now as well that are really seem to be engaging with um, NIP, you know, the Northern Independence Party. So, um, uh, yeah, let, let's another one of these things where we we look and see. But I'm I'm definitely supporting them, Tom. I think. Yeah, yeah. I I, I really I really do think they've got something here, and especially because I, I just find it outrageous what Labour have done. Um, if I lived in Hartlepool. I, I just feel really resentful, really yeah. resentful yeah. if I was yeah. a Labour member and yeah. Yeah. Totally. I'd had a, a candidate imposed that, on me. I mean, no matter how, no you know, no, 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 no matter how well, good the candidate so was to have out it of imposed, tune. it's not right. I, I'd mm. say my impression is the Labour Party right now are so out of tune with what the country wants in terms mm. of democracy mm. and uh, transparency, mm. all of those things. We're sick to death of being treated like, uh, you know, nobodies. And they continue to yeah. do it worse than ever. And I mean, what's it going to do? It's just going to turn people away, you'd think, wouldn't you? Mm. We'll see. And that's why there'll be accusations about, oh, well, they'll be splitting the, the Labour vote. But it, Labour isn't Labour, is it? It's not, it's not currently. No. Um, a democratic socialist party. So you're not you're not splitting the vote. In fact, I'm, I'm hoping that it will be Labour splitting the NIP vote. <laughs> yeah. I can yeah. I think NIP would yeah. do so well. That yeah. might yeah. be the other way around. Yeah, fascinating, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? So. Anyway, we're something good, to, uh, interesting to watch, and that's obviously really on the boil now because the by election I think is on May the seventh. Is it? I think uh, May the sixth. I May think. The 6th, I, I, yeah, I don't yeah. think it's been actually declared yet, uh, but I would imagine it's the same day. Yeah, the, I've, I've read the local election. Uh, yeah, I've read. Yeah, that, so, uh, yeah, may, yeah. Well, maybe it has been confirmed. Yeah. I might have missed that, but it's so, not too long yeah. to wait anyway. Yeah. Interesting mm-hmm. stuff, Thelma, and we'll keep our eye on that anyway. So anyway, yeah. now we're going to just uh, uh, take a short break, and then we'll be introducing our guest for this week, uh, Clive Lewis. So we look forward to talking to him shortly. Thank you. part two of the podcast and I'm really really pleased to be able to introduce to everybody Clive Lewis MP for Luton was it? No he's got it wrong <laughs> no. somewhere, somewhere in that Norwich, area Norwich South Norwich oh yeah South. that's similar. that neck of the woods very close very close <laughs> Norwich South so yeah nice to meet you Clive and nice to meet you Tom yeah, great and nice I you. think you're already friends with my co-host nice. Thelma. Oh, yes, Thelma was oh. Thelma was my uh, head teacher at Parliament. She used to keep me in line. Was <laughs> <laughs> uh, outside her office most days. Well, I have to say, I was thinking to myself, positive behaviour management strategies with Clive, you know, uh, uh, what I'll need to do and uh, Clive will be a lovely handful in terms of, <laughs> I know what you're like and uh, I loved working with you and uh, I mentioned to John McDee um, that you were coming on with us and do you know what he said to me? He said, tell him if he plays up, you'll tell his mum and dad. Or even worse, me. <laughs> ah, yeah, I know. Don't tell my granddad, please. <laughs> but no, I, no jo, I, yeah. I mean, jo, I mean, jo, the thing, the thing with John, the thing with me and John. I mean, we'll go into this now. John, I got, I got so much respect for John. Um, and yeah, I think it's, I think a lot of us have on the left because he's been there for a long while. And yeah, yeah we've all got that respect for him. And, and I think there's an element of truth to that. You, you don't want to upset John. 
for lots of reasons. No, the least of which, you because don't want to cross John, do you? You don't want to cross John, but at <laughs> least, but it, more from a more, but I genuinely mean it. More from a good perspective. When he used to, he used to come sometimes, you know, give read me the right act occasionally on something or the other I'd done or said. And you, it, it, the, the reason it, it would get to you is because you respect his opinion. Yeah, that's exactly. the reason. That's how he exactly. knows. So it's it's yeah. that. So you do respect. I respect his opinion. You know? yeah, I might not yeah. agree with it, but I respect no. it, and that's. But but that's what I mean about well, you and I used to often have a lot of banter, didn't we? But it it was almost like with the head teacher thing that I hardly ever raised my voice. But if I ever said I'm really disappointed in you, it, it'd be, you'd have children <laughs> kind of folding in front it's of exactly you. That. It's exactly it's exactly that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's exactly it's, that. It's, yeah. it's, it's it's very much like that. But it is absolutely great to see you, Kai. And you and, as well. Uh, it's been a, it's been a while now, hasn't it? Yeah, so, it has. It has. Been a while. Well, a while since we've all seen each other with lockdown. But, uh, but, but even we, on we, the video so. well yeah but um we've had uh, we had uh, melissa talking soul in terms of uh, musical choices melissa ben last week and we right. had richard bergen the week, week before with heavy metal <laughs> oh, so yes. come on we want to know we want to know from you what floats your boat music what floats my boat well, well <laughs> my boat i would probably say deep house uh, is my thing at the moment so i'm Pardon? really deep Pardon? house <laughs> So it's a, it's, a, it's a genre of dance music, which is, um, it could best be described as, I mean, I, I went, I've been through phases. So I, I was in my hip hop phase when I was younger. I still love hip hop now. I've been in, I love, I love uh, trance, kind of trance when I was kind of coming up outside of university, which is a form of dance music, very clubby. Um, drum and bass, I've gone through, still love oh, that. No you never leave bass. it, ah. so you I've never leave any of these behind. You've got drum and bass, so you never leave any of these behind. But yeah, Clive, deep house you, now. Clive, can you just hum us a little bit of that? So give us yeah, a bit yeah. of an idea. What, what's it, how does it go? Um, I have so, no idea what you're so talking I about. Don't know. <laughs> so hum you some deep house. No, I couldn't do that. It's too no, complex. I didn't think you'd do it. I couldn't do it. I did, you wouldn't, it wouldn't make any sense. So, so you, you, you dance to that, do you? Do you, do you I, I, I train to it. I, it's more to running and, and exercise. Okay. And, and obviously I listen to it. But yeah, I do. Mm. In my own kitchen, I dance to it. And there's no one watching oh. except my neighbours from across the way. <laughs> I'm going to try and find some of that and listen to that. I'll send you a link. Yeah. yeah. Send you a link. Uh, okay. All right. Well, we're, le we're learning something else then. Mm, about heavy metal. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Excellent. great. Yeah. So, um, Clive, can I ask you, you know, when you went for um, the leadership um, yeah. and you were in the campaign, um, I was really interested in the kind of vision uh, you shared. Uh, and had and have, I know, uh, for constitutional change um, and electoral reform. Mm. Um, and I was really sorry when you, you actually pulled out of, of that leadership. Uh, Did you uh, nominate race. me? I can't remember. I can't. <laughs> 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 ah, that's why I pulled out, Thelma. I couldn't go on without your nomination. I was like, no. <laughs> That's it, but game I did, over. I actually thought you had a really, really interesting campaign and um, what you had to say. Uh, what I'm pointing out, really, is that of all the people who went for it, and sorry, no, I, I didn't, not me, but <laughs> you've embarrassed <laughs> me there, <laughs> was you, you had the clearest vision um, about the future for the left and the electoral reform and the possibilities of how, how we could have... Uh, a socialist uh, government, you know. So would you like to share with us yeah. what you'd like to see? Yeah. What could and, uh, happen? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that, I think it's I'm really, I'm really really grateful you said that, um, Thelma. And um, I mean, yeah, it was only a brief stint, but what we what we had and our, to get to the message that we had, it took a lot of pain to get there because there are a lot of one of the things about the left, it's very divided on on the box issues and it's quite purist. So you have to kind of agree with most of what someone with what someone is saying or or doing for them to kind of come on board. And if there's like kind of five or ten percent with a disagreement, that's enough for a schism in many ways. And and in my own team, that was no that was no different. And I just basically said, listen, if you if you want to be part of the campaign, then this is what I'm going to talk about. And there was a lot of moaning. And once we got up and running with it, I think a lot of people were won over by it because they could see the implications, not just for internal party democracy, but where it could lead to. And the fact that there was a lot of fresh thinking going on. Um, and the, the bottom, the premise is so many of the issues that we on the left are dealing with over the last, you know, for a long time now, 
are symptoms. So they're symptoms of a crisis of democracy. I and mean, whatever you think of democracy, one of the things I think is as democratic socialists, we should, be, we should worry a lot about democracy um, because it, when it goes the wrong way, an authoritarian way, um, it doesn't normally work out well for the left. It's usually, it's often what I would call the political right. And whether that's Stalin or whether that's Hitler or whatever, that there are certain, there are very, there are similarities and they don't end well for the left because the left tend to be free thinkers. They believe in values of liberty. Of, they, well, historically they have, they believe in democracy. They believe in principles, which I think are fundamental to all democratic socialists. And they often don't go well with authoritarianism. So there's a reason why we should be concerned about democracy. And the bottom line is the crisis of democracy is the fact that despite, um, you know, 40, 50 years of the welfare state, despite that overwhelming win in 1945, that Labour government, these were, this was in many ways, democratically, um, for want of a better word, uh, an aberration, for want of a better word. And we have to understand that we have here in this country an electoral system which is overwhelmingly stacked against what I would call the forces of, progressive, of, of progressivism. So since 20, 1918 to 2018, 28 general elections, the Labour Party has won just eight of them. And that includes Ramsay MacDonald, mm. whatever we think of that, three Blair administrations, that's half, you know? Mm. And then you've got, you know, you've got um, Harold Wilson, who won, the ha you know, scraped over the line after all that Tory scandal, Macmillan and so on, with a majority of about four, and then called another election. So they're in government and there, and, and then had a, a slightly bigger, bigger number. And then you have the Atlee government. So not that many. And when you look at it like that, you begin to see that actually we're hooked on opposition and we're hooked on the trappings of power. And yes, we had 1945, but when you think about it, 1945 as a settlement was part of a broader international kind of uh, welfare settlement. If you think, you know, into the Bretton Woods, in terms of the post-reconstruction of Europe. It happened across Europe and in America. It's a kind of continuation of the, new of, the, of the New Deal in America in many ways. So actually here in this country, there is a crisis of democracy. We have an unequal voting system, but it's not just that. It's not about the fact that we don't have a written constitution, any of those things. It's also on a global scale, there is a crisis of democracy. And obviously over the last 40 or 50 years of neoliberalism, it's something which has basically taken control away from national governments, away from local national politicians, and handed it to markets and financial institutions and bankers, and now increasingly giant tech corporations. And we have the added um, kind of input now of, of new technologies, um, surveillance capitalism, and so on and so forth, and AI, which is now the kind of the new kind of cold war between China and Russia. And this is going to affect all of us. So this is about understanding that the reason, you know, Rational democracy should not be voting year on year and still destroying the very life support systems uh, that keep us alive. You know, just yesterday I was reading how, you know, top five or six banks have been investing billions of our money, our money, into fossil fuels. And that's, you know, that's, that's despite we've known about this for 30 to 40 years. So there's clearly something wrong. Uh, it starts with the voting system, but it broadens out much deeper. And... The other pivot that I had, and I'll finish on this, was it was it was it was basically we can't talk about a crisis of democracy, about improving and deepening democracy in this country, unless we are prepared inside our party to have a democratic structure, one that genuinely is from the bottom up, and we don't. We have a very authoritarian, top-down uh, democracy. Speech marks, inverted speech marks. So it was basically saying, if we want to be able to talk about this, the first thing we've got to do is get our own house in order. Mm. You, I've heard you propose coalitions. Um, yeah. Looking at the history of that, if you mm. if you look at the Clegg yeah. Cameron era, yeah. um, you look at the we had the the chance um, of having the uh, national government of unity or caretaker government with Jeremy, mm. uh, which didn't happen. Mm. Um, also, we've got our PLP the way it is without open selection. So how, how can we get over that, Clive? How? how? So, so there, are, there are two sides to this. There's the electoral side and then what I would call the movement side. And, and, and in, when, you, when, we say, when I say coalitions, let's talk about the electoral side first. On the electoral side, when I'm talking about coalitions, I don't think you're ever going to see a, a Lib Labour coalition. Um, and even if you did, it's going to have to involve, it's going to be a confidence supply with the SNP. I mean, it's the political reality. When I'm talking about electoral coalitions, I'm talking about 
what's the what's the bare, what's what is the bare minimum you need to do to get across the line to get rid of the Tories, given first past the post system? Because we can talk about PR, and we can talk about written constitutions, we can talk about renewing our democracy, and we can talk about and this is a really painful thing. We can now with Scotland where it is, we can talk about NHS, the NHS, uh, UBI. Uh, we can talk about drug reform policy. I'm looking at uh, Momentum's fantastic set of different policy recommendations for their own conference. They want to take to our Labour Party conference. All of this is, about, is, is student union debating um, points until you can have power. And the only way under the current situation we're going to have power is by forming an anti-Tory coalition. Now, people will say, well, that's going to water down socialism, water down. Look, I mean, <laughs> look where we are. Look at the ticking clock that is the climate crisis. Yeah. It, it, look at what the, Tor the Tories are inimically uh, incapable. It's, in, it's in, it, inimical for them to be able to have a proper approach to the climate crisis because the big problem is their model of capitalism they have is, is the problem and they're not going to stop that. The vested interests they represent are the problem. They're not going to take them on. So that's the ticking. We have to get rid of the Tories if we want to even make a start on being able to get over the line. So when I say electoral coalitions, I'm talking about confidence and supply realistically. Labour is the largest party getting over the line with a non-aggression pact with the other political parties, standing down in some seats. So we know that out of the 85 seats that the Liberal Democrats are, are kind of contesting in second place at the next election, 80 of them are facing the Tories. Okay, So in those five seats where they're facing Labour, fine. We, we battle it out. You know, made the best side win and <laughs> made, the best, made the best socialist win in that, in that seat. Uh, in the other 80 seats, um, they're facing the Tories. Let them fight the Tories. Let them in those seats where, you, where Labour's coming third or fourth. Let the Liberal, let, give the Liberal Democrats the best chance of taking out the Tories. Does that mean that you have to love the Liberal Democrats? No, it doesn't. It means that you despise the Tories more than you do the Liberals. It's as simple as that. Okay? Um, but let's be really clear here. You know, in terms of the Liberals, let's go back a little bit further. You know, the welfare state, Beveridge, a social Liberal, Keynes, the person that gave us full employment and those fantastic Labour policies that enabled the NHS and the modern welfare state. A social liberal. These were card carrier members of the Liberal Party. We have merged our ideas, our thinking before when the stakes were high enough, when we need to rebuild this country. And I would say we're back where we were then. I'd say after this pandemic, with the climate crisis looming, this comes on to the first point. How do you begin to break out of the silos, the political silos, thinking silos of the 20th century to begin to build alliances for the 21st? And I would say, looking at all the things that confront us, we have to do that as a matter of urgency. We could have done it in 1945 with Keynes uh, and Beveridge and others. We can do it now. And the reason I say that is I look at some people, uh, whatever you think of Leda Moran or Caroline Lucas, who's considered a liberal by some on the left, okay? I have, a, I have a kind of definition. We've got our back to the wall, a cliff edge, if you want. And who would I work with in taking a couple of baby steps forward away from the cliff edge? And the to find a progressive, I say, are you prepared to challenge the power of capital? Yeah. And if you, are, if you can say, even if it's a, a small amount, well, that's, a, that's some advance from where we currently are. I can work with you. And are you prepared? Do you want to see more democracy, not less? If the answer is yes to those two things, I consider you a progressive that I can work with. I might not like everything about you, but then I look at my own party and I've got people in my own, in my own PLP and party whose politics are quite far away from me, relatively speaking. Do I still think they're progressive? More or less. I'd like to think everyone in the PLP agree with those two points. Um, so I guess it's about being pragmatic, Thelma, and, and how we move forward to challenge the issues that confront us here, here and now. I think the Harold Wilson pragmatism that existed, uh, maybe. Are you talking about? No? Uh, <laughs> it, it depends. I mean, look, he was the other thing is he, he was a pragmatist, and... and and in politics, there has to be you know, the left are often accused of not being pragmatists. But, you know, I'd say that's I'd say that's unfair. I'd say we want power. We want to change the world. And you've got to work out how you can begin. We're so far on the back foot. And we got, you know, there are people on you go, go on social media, go on Twitter. And you'll say, people, I want a socialist government. Well, you know, look how hard it was for Jeremy and John and, and the rest of us that tried to forge socialism through the Labour Party. We, we barely got to the start line <laughs> with our own side mm. kind of putting us back. I mean, it, this, you know, there, there's, a, there's an expression. The last line of the British establishment runs through the shadow cabinet of the Labour Party, the front bench of the Labour Party. You know, Paul Mason told me that. I often wondered what he meant. I, when I watched what happened over the five years of, of Corbyn, I began to see what he meant. So I just kind of feel to myself, 
we are going to have to really rethink how it is we're going to achieve the things that we want. And that means some of it, some comp, that means compromise, yes, but for a greater objective in the future. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I, I just hope in the future, Clive, that your voice is in there for the future of the left, because, uh, <sighs> yeah, I, I, I know you're very sincere. Um, I, I, you know what I'm thinking, having left the Labour Party um, uh, about internal democracy and uh, and how that could work at present. But, you know, yeah, it's great, great to listen to, to your vision and, and your thoughts. And uh, I'm going to hand over to Tom now yeah, because I know was, he's that was, uh, that got was questions. Fascinating, Clark. Thank I you. Mean, you said a huge amount there, actually, and uh, including answering my question, which I had lined up for you. So but I'm, I'm going to ask it you again anyway, because, um, you know, I'm not. I'm not in conventional politics. I, I don't know whether you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not, I'm a hippie. And um, I've never been any, I've always just thought it was a pile of crap really until Jeremy came along. And then I got interested. And uh, over the four years where Jeremy had his chance, you know, I was, got totally disillusioned by the power of the establishment. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this story over and over again, yeah. um, but I'm still here. Uh, not in the Labour Party, and, but I'm still sort of interested in politics. It's really interesting to listen to what you've been saying. It's quite different to anything we've heard so far on this podcast. Um, slightly disarming in a way, because it's all uh, new, new stuff to, to me, really. Um, but, uh, yeah, for someone not involved in politics and I'm looking at Parliament and I'm looking at the Tories and I'm looking at the Labour Party and then I'm seeing the odd few people on the left of the Parliamentary Party who are still going and still trying to stay positive and still saying things I kind of go, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. What really, I'll come away from it and then I'll think, oh my God, you know, you've, you, the, the size of the task is so monumental and the urgency is so, it's so urgent in terms of basically the environment is what I'm, I feel is the number one yeah. issue really here. Uh, and, and probably 75% of the MPs in parliament haven't even clocked the environment as a problem yet, I don't think. You know, they just pay lip service to it really. Um, I just, you know, all, I, I'm going on a bit here, I won't say much more, but there's all the old socialists and then there's a huge tranche of young people who feel this is quite urgent, we need to do something. Can we just mess about with this parliamentary politics and it could take 10, 15, 20 years before we even get a sniff of power to deal with this problem or is there something else we can be doing, you know? Uh, and I'm kind of edging towards something else we ought to be doing because of the urgency. Yeah. So I, I you know, look, I think it's, I think, I think, I think there's a widespread understanding that climate is an issue. Although I think, you know, look, on the shadow cabinet, I remember making a point about actually it was while I was on John's team, and I was, I was, I gave a presentation to some of those on the shadow cabinet about the, the, the scale of the environmental crisis and what we should be doing as a party. And uh, someone who shall remain unnamed said, yes, but Clive is still very worthy, but does it win us votes? Mm. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> therein, therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. Mm. Because there's a disconnect, isn't there now? Between, and I think this is a disconnect. And clearly, as political parties that want the best for our communities and for our country and for the planet, the two should be the same. You know, mm. we should be arguing for what we think is right and best for the country, for the world. That's the politics that I came in to talk about. And yes, you have to make, sometimes you have to make compromises, but you want to start from the position of, this is what's wrong, this is our analysis, this is what we want to do to get us to here, and this is what the, the world could look like, rather than, what do you want me to say to get my vote, to get your vote? Yeah? And now that, I think, people recognise from the current strategy of the current leadership, which I think is, is in many ways, it's a long story, maybe we'll go into it, but the, the, the voting system we have on the first part of the post means that there are, at any one time, around about a million voters in those uh, few swing seats which get to dictate what the issues are at any one general election or every, any given parliament. And that's what's happening there. But ultimately, that's not what many of us came into politics for. But one of the things that I think that Jeremy and John proved, especially in 2017, 
is that people, there is a hunger for something different. There is a hunger for something which is visionary. There is a, people understand that the world is going to hell in a handcart, okay? In just varying degrees. And we're all experiencing that to varying degrees. Some of us are more protected than others. But I think what the pandemic has shown is that there is a lack of security. And so people want, I think they want leaders to work with them to start to articulate what the world could look like. So I think that's really important. But I think in terms of people out there giving up on the parliamentary process, no. I tell you what I have thought in terms of the climate movement, anti-racist movement, Black Lives Matter movement, uh, women, sisters uncut, the whole, the broad range of, of kind of the movement out there. Yeah. I genuinely feel that the Labour Party has become disconnected um, from any sense of a wider political movement. So we, we still have trade unions with us, but we understand the trade unions are hollowed out shed of what they once were. Not, through, not all because of their own, it's not all their own fault. Um, in fact, a lot of it has come down to the you know, consistent attacks from successive governments on policy to kind of make them less relevant. And therefore people have voted with their feet and so on and so forth. But if you think about it, the Labour Party has disconnected. And what you have now in terms of the PLP and often across local authorities is a political class. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing per se, well, I'm saying just understand what it is. It's a political class that isn't connected to anything. So this is why you often get anger. Sometimes at Labour councils, when they make decisions about things which, you know, you know different groups have issue with because there is that disconnect. Or a Labour, a Labour Party, which is making decisions. So, for example, you know, what, which bit of the, Labour, of the Labour Party didn't understand that this authoritarian bill from Priti Patel was going to be problematic? Why did it take police brutality... Uh, a couple of days before we'd, we'd agreed to kind of abstain for them to wake up and realize this was a problem. That tells me mm -hmm. of a front bench and a PLP that is in many ways disconnected from a broader movement. Now that movement doesn't look like it did in the 20th century. It, it's changed because our economy has changed. The big mass movements of workers in industries and so on and so forth don't exist anymore. Most workers aren't unionized. So we've got to find different ways of connecting with those movements. But the other thing is I think representative democracy is coming to the limits, uh, partly because of this disconnect. But representative democracy is coming to the limits of its usefulness, I think. I mean, I'll, 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 I'm going I'm to caveat that. There is always going to be a role for representative democracy because other people will have things to do in their life. Until we live in a kind of uh, a, a post-scarcity society where everyone's sat by and they speak to their, uh, their Amazon computer and it delivers their dinner on their lap, you know, we're not there. Um, and I don't think it'd be a particularly nice world if it was like that anyway. But um, the, the point is, we are going to have some form of representative democracy. But I think where there's a massive space for us as socialists, it's the direct democracy component. And this is where I think, you know, deliberative democracy ties in with a four day week, universal basic income, a reduction in the amount of consumption that we're doing. So we have more time to spend in our communities, more time to take part in local democracy, more time to take part in culture, more, these are low, uh, low carbon footprint, low culture, more time to spend with looking after elderly relatives, more time to, so there's a, there's a, there's a different model of being, which I think we can see. And part of that is about the liberty of democracy. Now on the left, we care about member democracy. We bang on about it. But if you care about that, then you should care about direct democracy and citizen democracy in our society. And if you think about the Greek democracies, they weren't represented democracies. Yes, they had slaves. It's just kind of parked over there. But they, they, were, they, they had deliberative, direct democracy. So I think one of the things that we on the left should really be picking up about is that we should deepen democracy, move it beyond just mere representative democracy, which I think is creating these political classes aren't connecting, and opening up more to people, to the citizens, to have more say over how money is spent in their community, what infrastructure, where it goes. This is, this is the kind of democracy we should be talking about, rather than just a couple of handful of new mayors over here and a little bit of a voting change. I'm thinking about a revolution in how we actually, who makes decisions and how we actually regain power over those financial institutions and structures and domestic institutions and structures. Democratize the BBC. You're paying for a license fee, you know, no taxation without representation. I want to have a say over who the director general is. I want to have a say over programming. Mm. I want to have a say over the kind of BBC on the terms and conditions they offer their staff. That's the kind of democracy I'm talking about. It's empowering democracy. It's taking back control for people. That's what socialists can go in about. And I think actually, if we kind of, if we wrapped ourselves in that, 
um, I think as a party, we'd have something radical and fundamentally different to offer, along with the socialism, the economic policies, also a deeply empowering democratic narrative, which I think marries up. So more say over your place, over your, you know, over your rights at work. When you walk into the workplace, you literally walk into a dictatorship, a dictatorship of capital. You know, they can tell you how long you go to the toilet for. They can tell you how long, you know, I, you know, <laughs> that is unacceptable in a, in a, in a so-called modern democracy. So I think we you know there's a massive sphere here that we can move into as, as democratic socialists. And I think it's there for us and we need to do it as a matter of hurry, because if we don't, as the Labour Party, someone else will. Um, and, you know, it's not looking good for us at the moment. No, you're not. Well, you're not wrong there. I, I'm going to say it straight out, Clive. I totally agree with pretty much everything you say, except this link you've got with the Labour Party. And I haven't dared to say that to anyone else yet, but I reckon you can take it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, and I think, you know, you're yeah, not well, alone. You're not alone in that sense. I mean, bring them a book. Let's, let's bring tea. We're not exactly big seeing tea, yeah. democracy. <laughs> big tea. <laughs> oh, and my positive behaviour management was going so well so far. Forget <laughs> the big tea. <laughs> But you, I think you can see. It. Let's take let's take the, the Gordon Brown Democracy Commission. Okay. Um, this is why I said if you want to be able to talk about democracy to the public, then you've got to get your own house your own house in order first. You know, transform to win was the, the title of my very brief leadership pitch. It was about we transform ourselves and then we can win because we will be the change that we want to see in the country. Okay. And I think let's take the let's take the democracy review. You know, look, Gordon Brown's already written the outcome. The, the people that they're going to announce going to announce next week are going to be rubber stamps, I think. You know, and ultimately, if you're going to talk about democracy, then it would. I think it would be a good idea to be. It's a, it's a fantastic opportunity for kids to say, you know what, the future of the United Kingdom. Yeah, what that future is, whether it's united, whether it's not, whether it's federal, whether it's confederal, all of that. Let's let the people decide. And what we're going to do, we are going to bring in, you know, we're going to crowdsource, we're going to crowdsource cash from our funders on, and we're going to do one of the biggest programs of deliberative democracy this country has ever seen. And Labour MPs, Labour councillors, and others who want to take part across other political parties, we know the Tories won't, we want you to get involved, movements, get involved in this deliberative democracy, let's shape the future of our country together, a genuinely deliberative democracy program, okay? It would blow away, the media will be all over it, we would be leading the narrative on this. It's like, do we open it up to our workplaces? How do we democ? And you could, you'd be like, it would, it would just unleash what's happening instead. Gordon Brown's going to sit down with 10 to 12, 15 handpicked people and then tell us what our future is, including the Scottish people. Okay. They're going to be told what their future is. How is, why have you even got the word democracy review in there? You know, what is this? It's, it's like, how could you expect anyone to take it seriously? It's just the same old top-down politicians telling us what they think needs to happen. And I think people are tired of that because the right tapped into something on Brexit. Take back control. It's just that I think they had the wrong target. It wasn't the EU. It was the political institutions and the neoliberal mechanisms, of which the EU is a part of, yes, but which I think ultimately is where we want to take back control. And what we've done now, we've taken back control from a technocratic soft, you know, centre-left, uh, soft-left, centre-ish uh, European technocracy, and we've handed it back to the most right-wing bunch of neoliberal authoritarians this country's ever seen. That's not going to work out well for us. And the antidote to that is more democracy, deepening it and expanding it. So mm. I, I, I genuinely, you know, so, that, you know, there you go. You know, there's, that's what the Labour Party are proposing. It's, like, it's almost a joke before they've announced anything. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I imagine well, talk, talking about um, authoritarians uh, there, Clive, I mean, it's all very well this, but we can see your daughter's birthday balloon behind you. What I can't see is a flag. You know, oh. I mean, <laughs> nice no... pivot there, T. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I cannot see a flag. What about all this flag waving? What well, was that Yorkshire one I can see behind you? That Yorkshire <laughs> flag I can see behind <laughs> Those are Northern acceptable, aren't Northern they? Northern yeah. Independence Day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so this uh, latest diktat about having uh, Union Jack on all government buildings, what are your thoughts on that? And what's that all about? It's provocation. It's, it's, look, I, think the, the, I think the thing with flags is I, I, I've, 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 I've waved a flag in my time. Um, 
the thing about a fl- the thing about the Union Jack is one you've got, you know, this take Scotland for example. You know, there is arguably, arguably a near majority or majority of the Scottish people who, after being ripped out of the European Union against their will, overwhelmingly, they're for staying in, believe that the the agreement of 20, 2014, was it the 2014, was it 2013, 2014, whenever the first referendum was 2014, they believe that they believe that agreement has now been ripped up. Many of them do. And also as well, they're looking at Boris Johnson. They're looking at the kind of southeastern authoritarian London Westminster centric government that's taking place where they want to even erode what what few devolution powers they do. And you can see why you can you can empathize with why a lot of Scottish people want independence. I can. I can. I genuinely Me can. too. And I think anyone of us from the centre left kind of perspective can also do that. Um, so, so you've got a flag which represents a union which a, a large number of the people in that union aren't happy with. That's a starting point. Okay. Uh, secondly, whether we like it or not, we're post imperial power, declining power. And that's in part what Brexit was about. And what you have with the Tories is they see an opportunity now with their kind of Asian Pacific tilt, expanding their nuclear arsenal, global Britain, painting, you know, buying a new jet for Boris Johnson, painting in Union Jack Cutters. They see it, this is them trying to recapture the dream of empire. Uh, a different form, yeah. They're gonna be in for a shock when they go out and realize the rest of the world has moved on. But that's what this is about. And they understand that that dream is anathema to those of us who have a vision for um, a far more equitable planet for both the global north and the global south. But what they want to do is they want to ensure that the global south stays where it is um, economically. And they want to go out now and they want to, this is why they're fighting tooth and nail to stop parliament or any other mechanism from, de- from, de- from defining any kind of trade deal as null and void because of human rights abuses or genocides or, or inconvenient things like that to trade because they have a vision of the future and it's a really dark vision of the future. I can think the fact that they're stockpiling another 40%, increasing Trident by 40% should tell you mm. that. Um, and they also have a very dark, dark and um, pessimistic vision for the future of this country as by the increasing authoritarianism that they're trying to enact in terms of the right to protest and so on. So it's a very dark future they have. And what they're doing is they're trying to relive a glory in the past, a dream that they hope that they, that they have rekindled off of out of Brexit, uh, nationalism. And, Nationalism is often born from impotence. Nationalism often comes from a feeling of impotence, of powerlessness. And I think that's where this comes from. And and unfortunately, the Union Jack, as pushed by the Conservative Party, comes with what I would call a a scaffolding of of prejudice, if you want. It's about, it's their refusal to countenance that empire could have been wrong, that, you know, millions of people died in various famines, that there was a brutality to British imperialism, mm. gunpoke diplomacy. They don't want to touch that. They just want to touch their myth of the empire, which is that these willing subjects were, you know, they were they were brought into the 20th century, the 19th, 20th century, and they should be grateful for what they had. Well, the, the reality is very different. And I think, you know, if we're going to unpack patriotism, I am patriotic. I fought in the army. I love this country. Mm. I didn't fight for the queen. I didn't fight for Boris Johnson or whoever, uh, the conservative or whoever it was leader was at the time that I was over there. I fought, well, actually it was a labor leader, but I fought for things that I believed in. And I think mm-hmm. patriotism is, you cannot boil a complex issue of patriotism down into a union jack. And when you try and do that without unpacking the past, the injustice that has taken place, the fact that it hasn't been reconciled like it has in many countries, then I think showing that flag is, is, is basically a kind of red, is a kind of a, a red flag to a bull. You have to unpack the complexity of our past, our history, come to terms with it, and then have a better trajectory for our future. And then I think everyone can fly that flag with pride. And we'd also be in a kind of a polity with, you know, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, England, in some kind of um, stable relationship that doesn't rely on a kind of colonial and imperial project and so i think once you've got that fly the flag. but what it means at the moment when the tories do this is we don't want to touch you know we don't want to go anywhere near you know we're going to we're going to give you we're going to we're going to send you prison longer uh, for putting down a statue of a slaver than we will um uh, for attacking a woman and mm. i think that tells you all you need to know what they're doing it's a provocation it's a provocation and i think what we need to do in this country and on the left is to have an honest conversation about our past have an honest conversation about where we are now and about where we want to go 
And if we do that in a progressive way, we can define patriotism for ourselves, not let the Tories do it. But the flag waving at the moment is a shortcut and they own the shortcut. Mm. Much respect for what you're saying there, Clive. There were some quite um, powerful social media posts about uh, this uh, diktat, as I say, of the flag on all the government buildings. Um, and some of those social media posts were saying, we really ought to have the flags um, over the food banks and we ought to be putting the flags up <laughs> over, the, over the closed uh, shore start centres, you know? Um, and I, I think, you know, that would make a statement too. Um, yeah, you're right. And, in, you know, and when you open your pay packet as a nurse, you get, you know, instead of your, your 15%, you can get a little flag instead that you can wave around and flap about instead of your 15% yeah. pay rise. I mean, the list yeah. goes on, but yeah, I think, yeah. I think I made yeah. a, a brilliant point about, but you it's, know, it does, and I think it's that ownership of, uh, of what is it is to be patriotic. So I was really listening to what you were saying there about, you know, you fought for your country and your values and what you believed in, and that is patriotism. And yeah. I, I remember Jeremy saying, I thought it was quite powerful, it's being patriotic to not want your fellow citizens homeless uh, or queuing at food banks, and, yeah. and that we, we need to take more ownership of what it is to be patriotic so yeah much respect for, for, for that answer and oh Tom I think we're running out of time uh, yeah I just want to quickly ask you Clive I just want to quickly ask you about I mean you're, you're not the typical uh, member of parliament really I, I wouldn't I, I mean I've only known you a very short time but uh, you, you, you're quite a free speaker and um, uh, quite easy well, I'm, I'm sure they're all quite easy to be with but you know I feel like I I could chat to you quite a while not, without too much problem. Um, so when you're actually in the House of Commons, I don't know whether you go there now or whether lockdown stopped you going there. I mean, you must be in a very small minority now of, um, uh, I mean, a lot of people there who probably just think you're a pain in the ass, really. Um, <laughs> Include the campaign group, I think. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing. There are there are orthodoxies all over politics, aren't there? And and I think in a way, the Labour Party is itself. The Labour Party is a short is a shorthand for orthodoxy. You know, it's it's been around for a hundred years, and it believes it's entitled to be around for another hundred years. And you know, look, history is littered with. I've gone off on a bit of a tangent, but history is littered with political parties that thought they had a right to exist, and now are just footnotes in history. And, and what I would say is that I would like to see, I'd like to see more more people speak out and, and speak their mind and think outside the box this requires this doesn't what we need now isn't orthodoxy it's unorthodoxy we need we need something which we need to start thinking outside the box because the box has led us to where we are thinking inside the box has got us here if we think so here's good great but we now need to start thinking outside the box and unfortunately the plp i think as thelma will will, will probably acknowledge is probably one of the most socially most kind of conservative, small c conservative kind of places in terms of how we view politics and how things are done. And and, and it, that, I think it needs to change, but it's not for me to tell my colleagues they have to change. They have to find that themselves. And, you know, maybe me speaking out will give others, and I think it will, the confidence to do that themselves. I think it already is. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm allowing them to speak or giving them the confidence to speak. What I am saying is, I think if someone stands up and does it once, others will do it again and it will, it'll, begin a momentum and I think that'll be a good thing for us as a party and a movement. Yeah fantastic Clive really brilliant brilliant to listen to you mate uh, and uh really appreciate Thelma said you'd be good value and uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's, well. he's, he's been quite quite well behaved as well really as you know, yeah, he was a threat at the beginning let's <laughs> cut our losses and get out of here fast <laughs> uh, lovely lovely to, great, lovely to see you great to meet again. you Clive really you appreciate both. you coming on mate and hopefully you'll Pleasure. be able to come on again sometime I would love to yeah, yeah we'd love to have you back take yeah. care everyone take care yeah and you take care Clive Well, that was interesting, wasn't it, Thelma? What a lovely guy. Oh, uh, Cl no, Clive lovely. Lewis, I miss him. I mean, I miss him. you know, <laughs> breath of fresh air, really, because, you, you know, until you meet these guys, all you've got is what you see on Twitter or what you read in the press. And actually, when you meet them, they're quite different, aren't they? That's happened to me. I mean, this is podcast number six, I think the fifth guest. Uh, it's, it's happening to me over and over again. I meet these people and I think, well, they're okay. Whereas, uh, you know, you just get such a false image, really, sometimes. Well, you, not, you can do it. Uh, 
No, I mean, obviously, I, I've know, I know all of our guests so far. Um, and I think what's the wonderful thing about this podcast um, is that, and the intention we have is for the real person to come through and for them to be able to express themselves freely about their politics and about their life and about their music. Um, and what I'm really pleased about is I think, well, I hope the, the listeners are picking up on the real person, which sometimes uh, on interviews and on mainstream uh, media platforms, that doesn't always come through. And I, I hope we're achieving that, that with the real person, the person I, I know and, and like and respect is 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 coming through to everybody so uh yeah i really enjoyed uh, yeah absolutely to... totally agree with you Thelma. that's absolutely brilliant so anyway there you are everybody thank you for listening i hope you've enjoyed it next week we've got a special guest another special guest ash sarkar who i'm really nervous of meeting uh, so that should be interesting but don't <laughs> yeah. worry Thelma will be fine um <laughs> positive behavior management with ash as well so anyway don't forget if you've enjoyed the podcast please subscribe and please share and tell your friends because for us uh, it's not all about the numbers but you know there's some good stuff being said in these podcasts and and uh you know just to get it out there that's what we're doing it for really so thank you very much and i'll pass you over to thelma to say goodbye Well, thank you to Clive for joining us today and to you, Tom. And thank you all for listening. And I'll leave you with some wisdom from Mark Twain. He said, keep away from people who try to belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that. But the really great make you feel that you too can become great. Solidarity.